what happens to digital twins is you can actually make sure that all your equipment is up all the time. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, the editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. Today, I'm talking to Prith Banerjee, CTO of ANSYS, a world leader in the field of engineering simulation or product modeling, a technology aimed at turning design concepts into innovative products faster and at lower cost. Prith, would you give our listeners a few examples of who your customers are and how can ANSYS make a difference? Absolutely. So ANSYS is a simulation and modeling software company. We are a company with about $1.5 billion in revenue. We have about 4,000 employees. Our customers are in different verticals. We serve our customers in the automotive market, in aerospace and defense, in high tech, in oil and gas, energy manufacturing and others. We have more than 45,000 customers and we assist our customers in solving their problems with structural simulation, fluid simulation, electromagnetic simulation, optical simulation, semiconductor simulation, and so on. Uh, we assist our customers through simulation-based product innovation. We enable them to build much faster, much better products faster to help top-line revenue growth of our customers, as well as in reducing R&D costs, so therefore bottom-line savings. The latest advance in engineering simulation, I understand, is a concept called the digital twin, a kind of virtual replica of physical devices that data scientists can use to run simulations. Did I get that right? That is correct. In fact, that is the most exciting opportunity today. Uh, all our customers are that are building large physical assets. For example, I used to be CTO of ABB and Schneider Electric prior to joining uh, ANSYS. These customers have assets like a transformer. The transformer is a physical asset, and they would like to have a virtual model, a digital model of that asset. You can have an airplane. You want to have a digital twin of an airplane. You have a aircraft engine you want to have a digital twin of an of an airplane engine all our customers are thinking about taking that physical asset building a digital model of that a, a simulation based model of that digital asset but the the one thing i wanted to clarify is a digital twin is not just a simulation model but it's a simulation model that is tied to the actual thing through an iot connection an internet of things connection, which allows you to continuously 24-7 collect actual data from the real physical asset and update your digital model, the virtual asset, so that your digital model is absolutely accurate with respect to what is happening in the physical world. This is the capability we provide through our digital twin. Could you give our listeners a few examples of digital twins at work? Absolutely. So we, we, for example, work with EDF. EDF is a company that provides 
uh, for, for solutions in the area of uh, nuclear power plants and so on in, in uh, Europe. And they make large uh, power generators and so on. So those are multi-million dollar assets. What we are assisting EDF with is building digital twins of all their power uh, generation equipment and providing it in the nuclear industry for digital twins of all uh, all nuclear power plants. Another example is Volkswagen Motorsport, and we have helped Volkswagen in their uh, journey towards a building a, 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 a electric vehicle that climbed Pike's Peak in the fastest way, and we assisted them in a six-step multiphysics simulation using our digital twin builder. We also have part, a third example would be Kaiser Compressor, which is a compressor company, we enabled them to build a digital twin of their compressors and help them in essentially the whole process of a, how do you actually design different versions of compressors and essentially help their salespeople in, 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 in showing the value of their compressor to their customers. We are working with them on the long-term journey of compressed air as a service. So those are three examples, Volkswagen, Kaiser Compressor, and EDF. What role can digital twins play in manufacturing and operations? Yes. Uh, so in a manufacturing floor, you, have, you are manufacturing lots of parts and so on, right? So you have lots of equipment on a manufacturing floor. And essentially, all the manufacturing equipment needs to be up all the time. So in a manufacturing area, there is a metric called Operational Effectiveness Efficiency, OEE, and it's a product of availability of all the equipment, productivity of the equipment, and the defect rate of all the equipment. What happens to digital twins is you can actually make sure that all your equipment is up all the time, right? And so essentially what you do is you enable predictive maintenance through a simulation-based digital twin, and the accuracy of the predictive analytics is much, much higher than doing only data-based analytics. So using our twin builder product from ANSYS, we have been partnering with a company called Rockwell Automation to enable our joint customers in improving the operational efficiency, predictive maintenance, predictive analytics of all the equipment in a manufacturing plant. Okay, at least theoretically, digital twins could span the entire life cycle of a product, couldn't it? From creation to production, operation, disposal. Are we there yet, or is that still in the future? No, we are actually there uh, today. So what we are, uh, what, essentially we are working with many of our customers in the oil and gas services area, where we enable, help our customers with the design of their assets, then the building of the assets, and the manufacturing and operations of the assets all the way to end of lighting of an asset. So when you design a part, you design it using a CAD tool, a CAD tool, either a mechanical CAD or electrical CAD. And then the next phase is essentially you analyze how good that asset is. Like it could be a transformer, could be an equipment, could be a data center and so on. So we essentially can help build a digital twin of the asset when it's being designed. Then when you are actually building the asset, suppose you are using, say, 3D printing, additive manufacturing, you can have a simulation model of that manufacturing also, and therefore you can help it in building a digital twin. In the operations phase, when that asset is being actually used, 
you essentially connect that through IoT and through a simulation-based digital twin, you can monitor exactly what is happening in the operation. So we at ANSYS have a view of pervasive simulation, which is a simulation being used at every phase of a life cycle from ideation to design and analysis to manufacturing to operations and digital twins can be used in all of those phases. Okay, let's assume I am a company, a manufacturer. Um, where do I start to implement digital twins? So where do you start is you essentially, the most simple thing is in doing remote services. So when a part, suppose you have a an asset like a transformer or an engine or whatever, right? Where you start is you connect up your, your assets through an IoT uh, platform and you monitor exactly what is happening with your asset. So the very simple thing that you can do is to connect your assets through an IoT platform and you remotely monitor what is going on with that asset. And that first step is called data-based analytics and data-based digital twins. You model the, you measure the vibration, the temperature, the pressure, and so on. And you try to observe for any anomalies that happen in your asset. And as soon as there is an anomaly, you say this is about to fail. And this, this is how you essentially do remote maintenance and, and, and predictive analytics. But the accuracy of that pure database analytics is about 60%. So you will you may predict that this transformer will fail next Thursday, but you will be wrong 40% of the time. If it is a million-dollar asset, you will make a $400,000 mistake. This is where simulation-based digital twin comes in because through tying accurate physics-based simulation with an IoT platform, you can increase that accuracy from 60% to 99%. Therefore, when that million-dollar asset, you predict it's failing, it will actually be an accurate prediction. Gartner says organizations will implement digital twins simply at first, then evolve them over time, improving their ability to collect and visualize the right data, apply the right analytics and rules, and respond effectively to business objectives. Do you agree? I absolutely agree. So this is exactly what I mentioned, right? So the first initial step of digital twinning is just connecting up your assets to an IoT platform and doing very simple database analytics to predict when that asset will fail. And then with time, you essentially tie that simple database analytics with physics-based simulation, such as using our Twin Builder product. And this will enable our customers to have a much better accurate uh, digital twin model of all their equipment. And so it's a journey, you start simple, and then you actually add more and more capabilities. You tie in with your CAD model, tie with the simulation model, and you have a much better accurate digital twin at the end. Of course, nobody's perfect. How about digital twins? Do they have limitations too? So in the when you are building digital twins, you have to have a model that is accurate and a model that is fast. The trouble is there is a trade-off. You can have a very, very accurate model of a digital twin, but if it takes you 10,000 hours to come up with a model, that is of no use. So in the digital twin technology, uh, we have a way to do what is called reduced order model, which is an approximation of a high fidelity model. The accuracy sometimes when you're trying to do it really, really fast, 
is the accuracy suffers, right? And so it is a trade-off of how you can build a digital twin model that is high fidelity, very accurate, as well as running fast. So there are some situations where the complexity of the physical multi-physics interactions between the fluid flow and the structural flow and the electromagnetic flow may be so hard, it may be hard to get a really accurate reduced order model, and that would be a limitation. Of course, you know, since the beginning of time in IT, it's been garbage in, garbage out. How do I know that I can trust the data? You do it based on uh, on constantly monitoring how accurate your, your uh, prediction is. And this is why I said in the beginning, a, a digital twin has three components to it. One is you have to have a simulation model of the digital twin. Second is you have to have an IoT connection uh, through an IoT platform. The third is the constant calibration of the physics of the physical asset with the virtual asset. And so uh, that is how you make the correction. So let me give you an, an example. Suppose you were to build a digital twin of a bridge and you are saying, uh, I will predict when that bridge will collapse. Through pure analytics, through an IoT platform, you can say, you can monitor if there is a crack in the bridge or not. And suppose you find that crack in the bridge today is 12 inches. Through a simulation-based model, you say that crack tomorrow will be 16 inches then tomorrow you actually monitor through an IoT platform where that crack has happened. If the crack is exactly at 16 inches, you know it is an accurate model. If the crack has only gone to 13 inches, then you correct, you, you correct your simulation model. This is how you update. And you, uh, you, you, instead of doing the smart crack propagation really fast, you say, no, I should slow it down. And so the next day when you predict it to go to 14 inches, you will be absolutely correct. On the other hand, if it instead of being 16 inches, it became 20 inches, meaning that the crack was actually proceeding even faster. So you update that model. So the next day when you say it will be at 24 inches, it will be more accurate. So it's that constant update of that simulation model with the IoT online data that makes your thing really accurate. So when we say that bridge will collapse next month, it will actually be an accurate correction. That's how you make it correct. Perhaps surprisingly, some experts say that digital twins have not yet been fully explored at the execution level, especially on IoT projects. What's holding people up? The digital twin industry is evolving. And so people say that the market for digital twins is about 20 to $25 billion by 2025. So the market opportunity is huge. Everybody believes in the future. What most customers are doing uh, is they are actually testing with digital twins, with proof of concept, small uh, things, small baby steps, like when I mentioned uh, Volkswagen or EDF or, or Verbond or Kaiser Compressor, every company is testing with concepts of, of, of digital twins. They're not at scale yet. When you're looking at manufacturing plants, we are working with customers such as Procter & Gamble and Stanley Black & Decker and so on. And each of these companies, they are actually testing these concepts in a pilot line, in one line in a manufacturing plant. Once they actually see these things will work, they'll try on 10 lines, 100 lines, multiple plants and factories. At that point, by 2025, you will see digital twins be really used by all customers in all uh, verticals.
Okay, well, looking maybe even further ahead, how do you make sure your digital twin fits with business needs today and tomorrow? That's a great question. So uh, today, uh, most of the uh, our customers are talking about using digital twins for improving the predictive analytics of our in a manufacturing setting, in operation setting. In the future, we will see more, uh, more as a service value. So for example, we are working with a compressor company, Kaiser Compressor, right? Today they sell compressors for, to our customers for maybe $100,000 per compressor. But they're transitioning into the future where if they can guarantee that they can provide compressed air, they can actually validate the outcome of compressed air as a service. If we can guarantee the uptime of the compressor and that compressed air will be always up, then instead of selling a compressor to a customer for $100,000, they will lease that compressor, right? Essentially, the compressor is an asset that will provide to a customer and they will monetize it through compressed air as a service. This is where the whole digital twin is, is transitioning to in the future we are going to see a lot more outcomes, a lot more as a service, compressed air as a service, energy as a service, gas as a service. And we are actually partnering with various customers in that end state. And this podcast itself is a service. Um, thank you very much, Prith Banerjee, CTO of ANSYS, for sharing your thoughts on digital twins with us. Thank you. We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. If you need an industrial IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. Will banks conquer tech, or will tech conquer banks? Here to talk with me about the future of banking in the age of IoT and AI is Stian Overdahl. Stian is a regular contributor to Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, and he's based in Berlin. As I understand it, Stian, smartphone banking and artificial intelligence could help revolutionize the way banks deliver services. But the same technologies could also prove to be their undoing. How so? Well, depending on your age, if you think back to how you used to interact with your bank 10 years, 20 or th even 30 years ago, you'll see how much has changed in that time. Once upon a time, we always used to go into the branch, whether it was to make a deposit or whatever transaction. But today it's almost all done via our smartphone or online or even on the phone. So that's been a big change for banks. And that's in a way given them the, an advantage in that they can interact with their customers much more frequently through their apps. The other side, though, is that, of course, it's given new banks and tech players the opportunity to reach out to those same customers and try to compete by offering the same services. 
The big question really for banks is how aggressively big tech companies like Amazon will move into this space. And that's something that everyone is watching. Most banks have recovered from the 2008 financial crisis quite well. And while it remains to be seen how they will weather the corona crisis, the world's 1,000 biggest banks still have combined assets worth $123 trillion, with an average return on assets of 0.9%. So they seem to be sitting pretty, don't they? Well, certainly it points to how big the banking sector is in terms of the global economy. A lot of that business is, is with banking governments, so that's not going to go away. Uh, in terms of the, the corona crisis and the economic impact, it's early days yet, but certainly uh, I think the banks will be in for a rough ride. You know, you can look at a bank that did very well in 2019, but then suddenly the next year when many of its customers have trouble back paying back loans, it can, uh, can be difficult for them suddenly. Technology can also help banks save costs by closing physical branches and automating many transactions. Are bankers, like industrial workers, afraid that robots will steal their jobs? Well, over the past 10 years, banks have been steadily automating processes. For example, checking the signature on a check or uh, creating a credit report on a company. This can sometimes or often be done now by an automatic process rather than using a human worker. The good side for human workers is that frees them up to do, say, more intellectual or more creative activities. But the other side of that is it does give bank executives more leeway to slash jobs if they need to. I really think in terms of overall banking numbers of employees, the biggest indicator is really going to be revenue. And if banks are going through a tough, a tough spot, then they probably will accelerate job losses. Of course, competition is fiercer than it ever was. In Asia, digital payment systems are on the rise. New players like WeChat and Alipay in China or fast-growing mobility apps such as Grab have essentially taken over online payments, which were once a substantial business for banks. How can old-fashioned financial institutions deal with these new threats? Well, when you look globally, you certainly see different scenarios in different markets. Asia is quite different to Europe, which is quite different to the United States. In America, they still use checks. Exactly. And so they do in the Middle East. If you look at, uh, I think China is, is the most you know, frequently put forward example of uh, a country that has raced ahead with companies like Alipay and WeChat. And one reason that they evolved so quickly was that there was a, a need for, for digital payments or for payments that wasn't being met by uh, the banking sector at the time. Now, if you look at, for example, Europe, where a lot, most people will pay with debit card or credit card, there's less opportunity for a digital payment company to jump into the mix. So the hope for banks in Europe is that the transition towards a, a fully digital payments ecosystem happens slower than it has in Asia. In your article, you quote Philip Becker from Bain & Company, a consultancy, who believes banks will lose the customer relationship to fintechs and tech giants. He says they will eventually offer financial services through their own platforms and relegate banks to the role of back-end service providers. Yes, so he sees banks as fighting for the customer interface, which means when you use a banking service, do you do that via a banking app or some kind of other app, such as a mobility app or a shopping app? If you're using a, a mobility app or a shopping app, then that's where your customer data is. And essentially, the company that controls customer data, the customer relationship, can typically extract more value from it. So the, the danger for banks is that they get separated from their customers and essentially are kind of more like utility providers or commoditized. And that would, in the long term, mean lower profits and playing less of a role when it comes to retail customers. So finally, the billion-dollar question. 
How long will banks as we know them survive? Well, I think banks are probably here for the long run because for all the advances that tech companies have been making, the one big advantage that banks have is trust. People trust banks to look after their money and people also trust banks to look after their data and hold it safe. Now, when you look at tech companies, they've obviously had a rough 12 or 24 months in terms of some of the disclosures around how private data has been used or sold or repackaged. So there's a lot of wariness about trusting a tech company with your most intimate financial data. The other side of that is that there are many areas of banking outside of sort of retail banking, where such as corporate banking, investment banking, where it's relationship driven and where banks definitely have an edge over tech companies. Well, time will tell. Thank you, Stian, for sharing your insights with us. Thanks, Tim. And now, one more thing. Artificial intelligence researchers at Harvard are applying machine learning to social media, web, and other data to search for subtle signs of where the deadly coronavirus may be spreading. The virus first cropped up in Huan, China in December and has since triggered global hysteria. As of mid-March, more than 400,000 people around the globe have contracted the disease, and at least 16,000 have died. John Brownstein, chief innovation officer at Harvard Medical School, is part of an international team using machine learning to comb through social media posts, news reports, data from official public health channels, and information supplied by doctors for warning signs the virus is taking hold in countries outside of China. What we're doing currently with coronavirus is really trying to get an understanding of what's happening on the ground through as many sources as we can find, he says. Other researchers and startups are reportedly also using artificial intelligence and other technologies to predict where the virus might appear next, hoping to be able to sound the alarm before other new potentially threatening viruses become public health crises. The Harvard team has created a tool it calls HealthMap, which collects information about new outbreaks from online news reports, chat rooms, and more, and uses the information to generate a map-like visualization that shows how and where the disease has been identified. That was We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter smart industry updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT.